And then I think I'm just going to invite up Pastor Allison, who's giving us a word this morning. So help me greet Allison as she comes. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Allison, and I am uh, the executive pastor here at the River. Um, it is so good to be here with you this morning. So we are currently in a sermon series titled Impossible Questions, Fresh Perspective. We've been considering some of the toughest questions of life and Christian faith. Questions like, why does the list of sins keep changing? Is the Bible inerrant? If not, why follow it? If there's a good God, why do bad things happen to good people? And how do we foster a spirit of Christian curiosity? Today, I want us to consider another difficult question. How do you heal when you've been hurt by the church? As Charles said in a recent sermon, church can be a double-edged sword, a source of life, but also a source of hurt. This has definitely been true in my own life. Just like any other sphere of our lives, churches are made up of imperfect people, and imperfect people hurt each other. In that regard, the church is no different than the rest of the world. But, at least in my experience, church hurt seems to cut deeper than many other kinds of hurt. There is something especially painful about being harmed in a place where you are meant to be seen, known, accepted, and loved unconditionally. Church friendships are often incredibly deep, causing their loss to be particularly distressing and confusing. And the topics discussed in church are often incredibly tender. So when they're not handled with care, it can be soul-crushing. Even in the healthiest of faith communities, occasional disagreements, misunderstandings, or hurt feelings are to be expected and hopefully repaired. But church hurts caused by manipulation, toxic theology, or abuse go much deeper and can take significantly longer to process and move through. Some individuals, such as Janice Selby, a therapist and founder of the Conference on Religious Trauma, argue that the only way to heal from religious harm is to leave your faith behind altogether. However, others, like Dr. Harold Koenig, founding co-director of Duke's Center for Spirituality, Theology, and Health, argue the complete opposite. In a New York Times article about religious harm, Koenig said, the best cure for religious trauma may be a deeper dive into the spiritual core of religious teachings. Isn't that interesting how their perspectives differ so dramatically? Both of these individuals have the same goal in mind, healing of religious harm, but their proposed solutions are polar opposites. Because church hurt varies significantly in form and severity, and because every individual's experiences and temperament are unique, there's no one-size-fits-all method to pursue healing. So as I share some of my own experiences today, as well as some insights I've gained along the way, I want to be clear that I offer them as just one way to think about this issue. 
So a bit about me. I did not grow up in the church. I became a Christian at age 16 and joined my first real faith community at age 18. There were many wonderful things about being part of that community. I made a number of deep, supportive friendships. I learned a lot about the Bible, prayer, social justice, and leadership. And I experienced God's loving presence in ways that were deeply healing and transformative. At the same time, there were also ways that I experienced harm. I don't believe that the leaders of that community intended to hurt me in any way. In fact, I believe that they genuinely cared about me and wanted the best for me. And it would be unfair not to acknowledge that they went to great lengths to make my life better in a multitude of ways. And yet, even when people have the best of intentions, harm can still happen. Looking back, about 15 years later now, with the benefit of hindsight and after a lot of processing, I can see that during my time in that community, I was exposed to a number of damaging beliefs. However, at the time, things were not so clear. Some of these damaging beliefs were communicated explicitly through means like sermons and Bible studies, while others were conveyed implicitly through actions, inactions, policies, and unspoken cultural norms. They included beliefs about the nature of God, people of other faiths, suffering, human nature, and human sexuality, just to name a few. These teachings did not bear good fruit in my life. Instead, they negatively impacted my mental health, my self-esteem, my ability to form healthy relationships, and my view of God. They made it incredibly difficult for me to admit to myself, not to mention others, that I am bisexual, leading me to experience intense fear and shame that would take years to work through. When I graduated from college and left that Christian community, I was not eager to join a church. I was depressed and in a lot of pain. I knew that I needed time to sort through all that I had experienced, both the good and the bad, and to allow myself to question all that I had been taught in order to figure out what I believed for myself. Also, I didn't want to risk getting hurt again. Maybe it's because I'm a stubborn, determined sort of person, but I never felt like walking away from Christianity altogether was the right choice for me. I could not discount the powerful experiences I'd had of God's presence, and I still believed that justice, healing, and unconditional love were things worth pursuing and fighting for. But I was skeptical about church. It was three years before I felt able to step foot in a church again. When I did, that church happened to be the river um, back when we were meeting in Seven World Trade Center. So I've been a part of this church now for 10 years, and it's been a wonderful place to heal, process, and grow. Here, I've found a safe space to do what Dr. Harold Koenig suggested, take a deeper dive into the spiritual core of Christianity's religious teachings. If you've been around the river for a while, you'll know that we consider agape, God's unconditional love, to be at the heart of Christian faith. 
There are many, many Bible passages that support this. Galatians 5, 6 says the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through agape. Romans 13, 9 through 10 tell us all the commands of the Bible are summed up in one principle, agape. And according to 1 John 4, 7, God is agape. For me, learning how to view all Christian teaching and practice through the lens of unconditional agape love has been incredibly healing, freeing, and energizing. And it has transformed how I feel about church. Well, at least this one. Being part of this community brings me great joy, and I feel incredibly privileged to have the opportunity as a pastor to help others experience God's unconditional love more deeply in their own lives. Of course, this kind of transformation did not happen for me overnight. It has been a long journey to this point, and it's still a process that's ongoing. This brings me to my first practical suggestion. Be patient with yourself and with the healing process. Emotional healing takes the time that it takes. At times, it can feel like one step forward, two steps back, which can be incredibly frustrating. But beating yourself up about not being further along is not going to speed things up. It is only going to add shame to the pain you're already experiencing. Romans 13 says, agape does no harm. This does not just apply to how we are to engage with others. It also speaks to how we are meant to treat ourselves. So instead of inflicting further harm upon yourself, try to be gentle if you can. Another component of being patient with yourself and the healing process is being honest with yourself about where you're at and honoring that reality. This means giving yourself permission to set boundaries and to take steps to take care of yourself. It means paying attention to the signals your body is sending you. And it means allowing yourself to acknowledge and feel your emotions without censorship or judgment. This is really important because suppressing our emotions can often prolong the healing process and it can also cause us physical harm. According to a 2013 meta-analysis of 22 studies on emotion suppression, putting a lid on your feelings can actually send your fight or flight systems into overdrive, which can increase your chances of developing cancer or hypertension. Not good, right? A second practical suggestion is to explore new ways of thinking about and practicing your faith. Some people find the prospect of de- and reconstructing their faith to be liberating and exciting. But for others, the process can feel disconcerting and unsettling. It can be hard to realize that you were wrong, or to have to rethink a phase of your life, or to leave behind a belief or practice that was once very meaningful to you, especially if you are unsure of what comes next. For those who have spent time in more controlling or authoritarian faith communities or have been, who have been taught to distrust their own instincts, this process can be especially difficult. 
But oftentimes we need to let go of harmful or limiting beliefs or practices in order to embrace ones that are more life-giving. When in doubt, use agape as the lens by which to evaluate. And when possible, lean on community to help you process. This brings me to my third practical suggestion. Allow others to walk alongside you and support you as you heal. This can be incredibly challenging. After being hurt, it can be scary to consider opening up and being vulnerable with others, but there can be many benefits to letting people in. Bessel van der Kolk, one of the world's foremost experts on traumatic stress, says this, our capacity to destroy one another is matched by our capacity to heal one another. Restoring relationships and community is central to restoring well-being. I have certainly found this to be true in my own life. When I was in seminary and began sharing some of my story with my classmates, it was comforting to know that others had gone through similar experiences or were asking similar questions. I also gained a lot of hope and courage from spending time around people who had already walked a similar path and were now living their lives with joy, peace, and purpose. Take it slow if you need to, but in places that feel safe, try to take small steps forward toward greater openness and vulnerability. Consider seeing a therapist or joining one of uh, our life groups at the river. Life groups are small groups of individuals from the river who meet regularly to connect, support, and learn from each other. We have a lot of great options kicking off during this season. Uh, you heard about one of them earlier uh, today, but there are many more uh, listed in the insert in your program, and there's a couple more that will be announced over the next few weeks. If you'd like more information about any of the groups, please let us know by filling out the connection card. Additionally, I'd like to offer that if you want to meet up for a meal or coffee or a one-on-one -on -one conversation, I would be more than happy to do that, as would other members of uh, the pastoral staff. My final practical suggestion is be someone who helps others move forward in healing. Whether you've personally experienced church hurt or not, we can all be part of making this community a safe place to heal and grow. Be someone who rejoices with those who rejoice and weeps with those who weep. Treat those who share their stories with you with great respect. It takes courage to be vulnerable and always be sure to honor confidentiality. Be willing to examine yourself and to let go of comfortable or familiar beliefs or practices if they may be harmful to others. Always remember that agape does no harm. Over the years, there's been a psalm that I have returned to again and again as a form of prayer during times of struggle, including while experiencing the pain of church hurt. The words of Psalm 40 have helped me to express my own longing for comfort, support, and meaning-making. To dare to hope for a brighter future ahead. 
and to remind myself that God's gentle hand is always reaching out to me. To end today, let me read you the first section of the psalm and close with a prayer. I waited a long time for the eternal. God finally knelt down to hear me. God listened to my weak and whispered cry. God reached down and drew me from the deep, dark hole where I was stranded, mired in the muck and clay. With a gentle hand, God pulled me out to set me down safely on a warm rock. God held me until I was steady enough to continue the journey again. As if that were not enough, because of God, my mind is clearing up. Now I have a new song to sing, a song of praise to the one who saved me. Because of what God's done, many people will see and come to trust in the eternal. For those who feel like they're stuck in the muck today, I pray that you would feel God's gentle hand reaching out to you. I pray that you would feel safe, held, steady, and listened to, that your mind would be clear, and that you would have a new song to sing. God, help us to intimately know your unconditional agape love that surpasses knowledge and empower us to be agents of agape in this community and in the world around us. Amen.